Hi, everybody, and a predated Happy New Year. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSE.com's Inside the Trojan Subtle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan Subtle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted each Tuesday during the season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We first start off with the pregame show where we introduce our panel members for this edition of Inside the Trojan Subtle. So let's meet them. A WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways. In addition to regular season football and basketball reports, he also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked On USC. That's Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, producer, and moderator of WeRSC's Friday's Four Downs video show and Five Things video show, which is posted on YouTube and WeRSC.com after each and every USC football game home and away. He's a graduate of USC. That's Eric McKenney, a former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular WeRSC.com column, Musings with Arledge and the well-received Musings with Arledge solo edition. He's a graduate of the USC Law School. That's Chris Arledge. And a weekly WeRSC.com columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious, not so obvious, from the press box, IMHO Sunday, the WeRSC.com travel guide and an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojans Huddle. That's me, Greg Katz. Folks, if you enjoy WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojans Huddle, we thank you and strongly encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube. Click on the like and red subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated, and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on most available podcast sites. And friends, speaking of WeRSC.com, we're offering first-time subscribers a special of $1 for, a, excuse me, for one month. If you're not already a full uh, premium subscriber, you don't want to miss the USC football website that really does tell it like it is. All right, let's kick this baby off. Friday uh, has come and gone. Saturday has come and gone. But what's not come and gone is what's upcoming, and that's Wednesday. The Trojans play the Louisville Cardinals on the uh, in the DirecTV San Diego Holiday Bowl at Petco Park. Kickoff is at 5 p.m. Pacific time, and the game will be televised on Fox. Trojans enter the game unranked with a 7-5 record, which includes a final 5-4 record in the Pac-12. The Holiday Bowl will be USC's 57th all-time bowl appearance. The men of Troy have attained 34 victories. Louisville enters the bowl game ranked 16th in the CFP rankings, a 10-3 record, 7-1 in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Louisville lost in the ACC Conference title game to Florida State, 13-6. Holiday Bowl will be Louisville's 26th all-time bowl appearance. Cardinals hold a 12-13 post-game record. In the ACC title game, Louisville quarterback Jack Plummer, a transfer from Cal, completed just 14 of 36 passes with no touchdowns, a costly interception. It should be noted, in a 2022 losing effort to the Trojans, 41-35, Plummer passed for 406 yards, 35 of 49, and three touchdowns and one interception. Louisville is directed by first-year head coach Jeff Brom, who will be without his leading rusher, all-ACC first-team rusher, Junior Jawar Jordan, who entered the NFL draft. Usually entered the NFL draft. In 2023, Jordan rushed for 1,128 yards and 13 touchdowns. Sophomore Maurice Turner will be Jordan's replacement. 
Louisville will also be without junior wide receiver Jamari Thrash. Uh, May 2nd team All-ACC was entering uh, the NFL draft as well. The Louisville offensive line is led by first-team All-ACC center uh, Brian Hudson. Defensively, Louisville is led by first-team All-ACC junior defensive end Aston Gillette, 6'3", 270. And during the regular season, the Trojans averaged 41.83 points on offense, while Louisville allowed 19.69 points per game. Offensively, Louisville averaged 30.92 points per game, while the Trojans' defense allowed 39.42 points per game. So, panel, there is the foundation of the two teams. Your assessment of what to expect, see, and want to see in Wednesday's holiday holiday bowl. What's cooking, Mark Culkin? Lead us off. So, Merry Christmas and a early Happy New Year, everybody. I'm at the airport, so if my sound quality is bad, I apologize. Look, uh, Greg, you laid it out there. It's going to be a game of uh, who's playing, and especially on USC side. I saw a picture of them out there at, uh, I think they were touring the the USS Abraham Lincoln. It looked like a travel squad team. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) look, we know Miller Moss is starting our quarterback, and we know that Todd Washington and Austin Jones are going to be there for some veteran experience leadership in the the skill position players, uh, positions. After that, after those guys get a few touches, and I'm not talking about Miller Moss. I'm speaking specifically about Austin Jones, Todd Washington. I think you're going to see the youth brigade from USC take over in this game, uh, specifically on offense. Uh, Kalen Bullock isn't going to be available on defense. He's uh, he's going to the NFL draft. So we're going to see a bunch of new safeties. Uh, Max Williams, this will be his last game. I don't know what to expect overall. I think it's going to probably be a little bit of a choppy, sloppy game to begin with. USC hasn't played in, what, a month? Um, so, bottom line, I, I think USC eventually will score somewhere between 30 and 40 points. Uh, Jack Plummer, who had a really bad conference championship game against Florida State, uh, is probably going to bounce back since it's USC's defense. I don't think he's going to have a 400-yard game, so somewhere in between 250 to 300 yards. And I, I think USC will pull this one out by two points. I, I don't know what to anticipate because I don't know who's playing. <laughs> that picture was a, a would say a picture's worth a thousand words. That picture from the Abraham Lincoln was amazing when I looked at it. Just amazing. Yeah. Eric McKinney, what do you what do you say on this game? I think what we've learned, what we know about bowl games is that we don't know much about bowl games. <laughs> what what's happened now with players opting out and who knows what your motivation is and who knows who's gonna be there. You just have no idea what the teams are going to look like. I mean, Louisville, they had a chance to go to a New Year's Six Bowl by beating a Florida State team that you assume they thought they'd beat without a, a quarterback. And so they may be down a little bit. They're missing their their best running back, best wide receiver. I think the thing that separates these two teams, Louisville's defense is, is pretty good, and it feels like they've got – some guys at all three levels that won't play in this one, but all kind of deep depth guys, their stars on defense are still going to play. And I think that they're going to make it really tough for a USC offense that, again, has a bunch of new pieces there. I think I think the USC offensive line is going to benefit from that long break that they got, the practice time, all of that, getting healthy, playing together. So I, I think that that group is pretty good. 
But six weeks off, I mean, November 18th was was the last time this offense had to play a new quarterback that they don't, you know, won't have Brendan Rice, won't have Mario Williams. There's guys that won't play for them. I expect maybe a pretty choppy offense from USC in this one going against a, a really, a really good, strong Louisville defense with some guys that can get after the quarterback. I, I think. I think Louisville, last I looked, was was seven points favored. I, I think that that probably sounds about right uh, to me in this one. But I am looking forward. You you have to look forward to the young guys for USC getting a chance. I mean, the, that Miller Moss is going to get a start. I think at running back, the two young guys there, the wide receivers, I think Deuce Robinson and, and Jacoby Lane are going to be really fun to watch. Makai Lemon uh, in that group, too. Um, and then, yeah, defensively again you want to you want to end the year more positively than than you saw early I think it's the effort and and kind of what can you take maybe into the offseason um but again I think you're expecting a, a pretty significant change just in terms of the entire program from the end of this year to the start of 2024. Chris Arledge agree disagree I don't know. I have a hard time uh, getting interested enough in this game to talk about it, to be honest, guys. Uh, and I suspect USC's players sort of feel the same way. Um, good news, though, Greg. You transposed the no- two numbers. You said the USC defense was allowing 39.42. They actually only allowed 34.92. So it's only 35 points a game, which is a lot better. Um, okay, so here's the thing. Um If you're going to watch this game, watch it the way you'd watch a spring practice. The game itself is meaningless and will probably be disastrous because USC's offense, USC's offense without Caleb Williams, probably going to look very good, right? They're still not going to block anybody. And Louisville's pretty good defensively. Um, So the offense is going to struggle. The defense will probably also struggle because, as I pointed out, they gave up 34.9 points per game. And it's not clear to me what's happened in the last month and a half to make them better. So if you're if you're excited by this game because you think USC is going to come out and look good and get a nice win on national television, uh, I would tell you to cool your jets. That's probably not going to happen. But if you're going to watch the game to see what these young guys can do and get a glimpse of what uh, what we're going to see in the future, that's not a bad reason to watch. Uh, the the young <laughs> the young offensive linemen will probably get it handed to them because those kids are freshmen, and that's what usually happens to freshmen, especially playing against guys who are experienced, which is what they're doing. Um, but um, I don't know Deuce Robinson, Zach Branch uh, getting the football a little bit. That sounds like fun. The freshman backs getting the ball. That sounds like fun. So, um, you know, take it for what it is. This is not an important game. And don't pretend that it is, Greg. I know you're going to disagree with me. It's not an important game. Next year, if USC beats LSU in the opener, the AP voters are not going to say, oh, yeah, but that depleted team last year lost to Louisville in the Holiday Bowl. Nobody cares. This season is a disaster. It's going to be a disaster whether they win or lose. So what I'm hopeful is that we won't have any injuries and we'll see some nice performances from the young guys and we'll get some reps for those young offensive linemen because because those guys are going to need reps. Some of those guys are going to have to step in and start next year. Um, And if that sounds depressing, it's because we tell it like it is. I don't know what else to say. Well, I'll add for Chris. I'll add for Chris real quick because this is a positive thing. USC's pass defense secondary been terrible, right? Louisville is in the same neighborhood. 
they rank 120th in explosive plays given up. So maybe there's a little bit of hope. Well, I, I'm, now, me, I'm now pumped up, Mark. Thank you. Uh, you know, it gives me a, it, we're in the holiday season. Uh, so I'm very happy to, to, to give to Chris that he's wrong. I think it does make a difference about the end of the season. I think a record of uh, seven and six and maybe eight and five, uh, maybe cosmetic, what have you, but I think it does make a difference. I'm actually looking forward to the game because I think when youth plays, they're excited to play. Even if they don't play well, they'll play excited. That's a, that's a, a big step compared to what we saw with SC and UCLA when SC could care less about playing against the Bruins, which is uh, understandable when I think of how many mercenary players USC had on their roster this last season who probably were only figuring it, well, I'm one and done, and then I'm going to the NFL. But I think that these players, especially because of Miller Moss, he wants to be a USC Trojan. I think they're definitely younger players that want to turn this thing around and be SC uh, players. I think Lincoln Riley was spot on in saying it. You know, we want to get players that want to play. Well, let me tell you, Wednesday night will show us that you want to play. Win or lose, uh, just play hard, uh, make the Trojans proud, fight on, and uh, let the chips fall where they may. I got a feeling they're going to come to play. I don't know if that's going to be enough to win, but I don't know. I, I think Louisville, if you can sit there and lose to a Florida State team that doesn't have their quarterback in a big game, uh, and you had all your players intact for that one, uh, I think maybe we're giving Louisville a little bit more credit than they deserve. I mean, maybe they'll come out on fire. I don't know, but I don't think SC is gonna is gonna you know die like a dog on this one. Uh, fans ever get caught up in the last minute ticket frenzy, the stress, uncertainty? It's crunch time. You don't need it, but guess what? There's a game changing solution, and it's called Game Time. Imagine this: effortless ticket buying for all your favorite sports, music, comedy, and theater events. For more frantic searches, no more frantic searches. Game time is your ultimate ticket, buddy. Sounds good to me. Want perks? How about incredible deals on last-minute tickets and rock-solid best price guarantee? Say goodbye to ticket anxiety. Hello to sheer joy of being in the moment. USC football will play on Wednesday night at 5 p.m. Pacific in the DirecTV San Diego Holiday Bowl. A reminder, you can still get great game time ticket buys for the game against uh, Louisville. And that's one's at Petco Park. And a reminder, also check out game time for the best ticket values for USC basketball games in the Galen Center. Check out game time tickets after watching or listening today's uh, Trojans huddle. Uh, you can also head to game time for Rams, Chargers, Lakers, and Clippers. Tickets for all your LA teams. And don't forget those concerts as well. Flash deals, easy access, seat view, images, unbeatable best price guarantee. Event protection. Game time has it all from sports to rock concerts. So here's the deal. Head to gametime.co. That's gametime.co. That's co, not .com. Download the app, create an account, use code TROJANS for $20 off your first purchase. Ready to dive in? As for buying tickets, as easy as tapping on your phone. Tickets are sent straight to your phone. Again, download the GameTime app, create an account, use code TROJANS for $20 off. Terms apply. Create an account, redeem code TROJANS for $20 off on your first purchase. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guarantee. All right, moving on to the second quarter, early December signing period analysis. Trojans completed the early signing period with 19 signatures. Quick rundown on the signees. Offensive lineman Jason Zamadella from Clearwater Academy, Florida. Uh, international cornerback Marcellus Williams, Bellflower, California, St. John Bosco. Defensive end Cameron Fountain, Booker T. Washington, Atlanta, Georgia. Wide receiver Xavier Jordan, Sierra Canyon, LACA. 
DL, Carlin Jones, Bay City, Texas, linebacker Elijah Newby, Cheshire Academy, Connecticut, safety uh, Marquise Gallegos, Sierra Canyon, West Hills, California, athlete Desmond Stevens from Clarkston, uh, Michigan, offensive lineman uh, Mikey uh, Sena from Martin High School, Arlington, Texas, and Justin Tuanu from Huntington Beach, excuse me, Huntington Beach, California, Huntington Beach High School, tight end Joey Olson, Lake Ridge. Oregon defensive lineman GD Abasari from Briar Lake Savage, uh, Minnesota. Safety Jarvis Boatwright, Clearwater, Florida. Offensive lineman Keolo Tiaga, Archbishop Reardon. Uh, Paulo Verde, San Francisco. Cornerback Braylon Conley and from Toscasita in Humble, Humble, Texas. Running back Brian Jackson, McKinney uh, High School in McKinney, Texas. Offensive lineman Hayden Treader. From uh, Cherry Creek, Colorado, defensive end, Lorenzo Cowan, Jenkins, Georgia. Tight end, Walter Matthews, Hiram, Georgia. So, panel, what did you think about the strengths and weaknesses of this early signing period? Were you satisfied with the results? Any flips uh, catch you by surprise? Let's start off with Chris Arledge. What did you think? Hey, Greg, can you give me that list again? I missed a guy or two. I tried to slow it down, but we're not messing with you. Listen. (laughs) Um, This is a class that's relatively light on offensive skill position guys, and that doesn't bother me in the slightest. Um, Lincoln Riley is going to get offensive skill position guys, either from the portal and other recruiting classes. I I think there are a couple places where they did really well. Um, I really like the edge recruiting the last couple of years. There are some really good football players. In fact, I don't know how many of those guys are going to be big enough. They're going to play with a hand in the dirt, but I think probably half of the edge guys they've recruited over the last two years will. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, again, with guys like Cameron Fountain, um, uh, who's probably the headliner, but not the only really good edge guy, uh, they look good there. Got a couple of big bodies in the interior, one of whom uh, USC beat out Ohio State for. That's probably a pretty good sign that he can play. Uh, Because Ohio State recruits defensive linemen really well. Um, So I'm excited about that. I actually like the offensive line class. I think there are a couple of guys who are probably going to be in a position to play early. And then you've got uh, maybe three guys who are athletic and and have big frames who I think are uh, are promising. So that looks a lot like last year's offensive line class. So, again, two years in a row with a pretty good offensive line group. I'm excited about that. Mark, what excites you? Wait, whoa, whoa, hey. Oh, hey. you're not done. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's it's on. the 30-minute right. minimum with Chris. Were you cut? I mean, I'd only been talking like two minutes, I think. We'll oh, come on. That. You never talk for two minutes. <laughs> well, I was going to talk for more. Uh, no, the, the, here's the thing that we need to understand. USC is not in a position to compete for the guys who want big NIL money right now. And, and so they're not going to get those guys. But if if the Trojans are bringing in a, a lot of big bodies on the offensive and defensive lines, I think ultimately they're going to be all right. You can always pull a quarterback, sorry, Mark, or a running back or wide receiver out of the transfer portal and be okay. What you can't do is build an offensive line pulling two, three, four guys and throwing them together. So I think in light of USC's inability to compete with the Oregons and Texas and Texas A&Ms of the world with NIL money, this is this is the sort of class that Lincoln Riley should be putting together, and I'm overall pretty satisfied with it. 
All right. Uh, just a note, uh, Mark is, is, has been very uh, generous with his time. He's actually at Sky Harbor Airport doing this, so he might have to check out and board his flight at any time. But we're going to go as far as we can with Mark. We appreciate it. So, Mark, what do you think about this this signing class? Well, I, I think Chris and I have a, a failure to communicate. Um, I am not opposed to the transfer portal quarterback. I'm opposed to the one-year ringer transfer portal quarterback. Just want to clarify that one more time for our good friend, Chris Arledge. Um, With that said, was this a great class? If you're looking at, you know, top 10 statistically, no, because they weren't top 10. Were they top 15? No. But guess what? You know who else wasn't a top 15 class? And they're going to the playoffs and they're the number one ranked team in the country? Michigan. And this is the second year in a row that they're going to the playoffs. So this, what does that mean? It means USC's recruiting class filled needs. They were very specific of what they needed to do. Chris touched on five more offensive linemen. That's 10 in two years. That's a good haul. They, they, they attacked the defensive line to rush edge again. Again, position of need where they had to focus. They went heavy in the secondary. As it turns out, USC's going to have a big need for safeties in 2024. So is it a top 10 class? No. Is it a... Is it one of those classes that everybody's going to say, we won the mythical national championship? Absolutely not. But if Michigan can do it this way, they're a blue blood. If you have good eyes for talent and better assistant coaching, I, I think with the advent of the transfer portal and the recruiting class, and let's not forget, we're going to give a final grade to this class sometime in February or in spring when the February signing period rolls along, as well as you've got another window of transfers coming through. So um, are you going to, are you going to go bragging about this somewhere? Probably not. But if you want to peel back the layers and compare it to one of the best teams in the country, they're right there. Eric. I think, I think what the guys have said is, is pretty spot on. I think Mark's specific number five offensive linemen tagged on to five offensive linemen last year is significant. You go back and look, and we've talked about the numbers where USC is bringing in two offensive linemen a year after they signed one offensive lineman. I mean, that, when you when you look at why has USC not been successful in the years that, that they've been down the last few years, it's not hard to point to offensive line recruiting and what you've had up front on both sides. Uh, I think this class overall lays a good base. And Lincoln Riley's talked about raising the floor of the program. I think that's what these two classes have really done. You've had, you've added a lot of kind of long-term talented guys at a lot of positions. What you're missing and what fans are going to want and what everybody's going to want are the five-star instant impact guys all over the place. I'm not going to say it's better to sign a three-star guy who you know will be there for four years over a five-star guy who's going to play right away and transfer. I, I still think that there's a mix of both of those, and you want guys that can make a significant impact right away and, and play for you and deal with whatever the fallout is of, of trying to keep them. I think if you're SC and you're winning, guys are going are gonna to stick around. So you're missing that aspect of this class still. But when you look at last year and you look at how those freshmen who a lot of people thought like, Oh, that's, that's a reach. He's not a guy. And then you look at how those guys played and and what they did and kind of the talk about them, you start to figure out, okay, these, these coaches 
seem to have a pretty good idea of, of what they're looking at in terms of guys who can develop and, and who can play. And so when those guys are bringing in some of the guys who, who look a little bit of the, the, the same way, I think it's, it's a solid class. What stands out to me is how they finished on the defensive line. We're having a different conversation, I think, if USC didn't finish the way they finished on the defensive line with those bodies. I mean, that that's three of the four up front on the defensive line were not in the class a couple weeks ago and, and didn't seem like guys that they would add. Cam Fountain is a great start to the defensive line, but without getting, getting Gita and without getting Carlon Jones uh, and without flipping Lorenzo Cowan, that, that's a different conversation. But now you add those three guys that look like they can develop and give you something really in a couple of years. And now you're talking about building both lines inside out with multi-year guys who are going to be there and develop and all of that stuff. And, and that's what USC has been missing. So I think, I think when it comes to that, these coaches have done a pretty good job the last two years. Again, you don't have the five-star bear Alexander type of high school signee, but building a roster and getting a bunch of guys in who can develop and, and play for you down the line. I think it's good. I, I think it's a class where we're talking about, you know, this class helps you win in 2026, 2027. It doesn't help you maybe a ton in 2024, but that's building the program and that's taking over a program that didn't really have anything in place to help you win in 2023 and 2024. Yeah, I thought it wasn't a great class. It wasn't a poor class. I don't think it was an average class. The way I look at it is it's all measured against Big Ten recruiting. And while the Trojans uh, in many polls is fifth uh, in uh, Big Ten recruiting, a lot of it's based on numbers. If you looked at quality of players uh, percentage-wise, SC was right there with Michigan. They weren't all that far away from Ohio State. Which was uh, and and even Oregon, who's, who's had a—I mean, we have to be honest about—had a great recruiting year. But in laying the bigger picture, and I think Eric said this: the idea of how many of these guys are going to help in 2024, probably not a great deal of them. But you know, I think it's we're a little bit more realistic now with USC that it's going to be a process. And uh, you know what? So they didn't fi- sign any five stars this period of time. But if you look at the, if you're going to go by a star system, there was a heck of a lot of four stars. Almost seemed like everyone was a four star. And I'll take the four and five stars. There is a big difference in 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 quantity, quality, and probably uh, you know the chance that they're going to succeed. So I, I liked it. I think Mark made a good point. You know, it's going to be what what happens in February and heading into spring, and it's you know the rosters are fluid. But overall, you know, they made a nice comeback with the defensive lineman uh, uh, in the last couple of weeks. So let's move on to halftime. Uh, panel, SC has been in, had many, many bowl memories in its history. Uh, what is your favorite USC bowl memory? And it could be win or losing. Eric, what comes to mind? Oh, the, uh, the Northwestern Rose Bowl. Uh, we sat. Pretty close to Keyshawn Johnson's mom in that one, and that that was a that was a fun experience as he uh, as he had a big day in that one, and, and USC won. That that one jumps out. Um, that one jumps out pretty quickly. And and guys, I didn't I didn't pick a loss for a for a game memory, which I think is the first time first time in a while that that I've gone with a win. 
You're being way too kind. <laughs> Chris? So the the good and the bad were back-to-back years, the, the Oklahoma Orange Bowl and the Texas Rose Bowl. But, uh, but those are a little bit boring because we always talk about those games. Uh, I'm going to go with a different one. I'm going to go with the 1985 Rose Bowl against Ohio State. That's the first USC Rose Bowl that I that I watched as a fan. Um, Ohio State was a top five team. They had um, uh, Keith Byers and Mike Tomczak and and um, uh, and had a big play from Byers in the first play of the game. And but USC fought back, played really well defensively, and got the win. And um, so that was a game that um, that was a game that's always been meaningful to me because it was the first Rose Bowl I saw USC win. All right, Mark, what, what comes to mind? Yeah, so um, I'm going to go with a win and a loss, and they're both from the Rose Bowl. Uh, I'm going to take Matt Bormeister. Give me that walk-off kick field goal winner. Um, Good one. That was kind of fun. I mean, when you think about where USC was in that game, then all of a sudden they're behind, and then all of a sudden they're, they're running off the field to win. That was maybe one of the more exciting games. I've attended a lot. And the other one, uh, still haven't watched the replay, and it still breaks my heart to this day. Was the uh, the game against that other team that wears orange, <laughs> burnt orange? <laughs> um, I have uh, two memories actually. Um, very quickly, uh, obviously, I thought the Rose Bowl against Northwestern was a was a really a lot of fun because Northwestern was a Cinderella team. And my the reason it's one of my favorite memories is I was the public address announcer at the Rose Bowl for that game, which was a big thrill for me and and my family and uh, probably the best game I ever did public address. Uh, you know, when you have a hundred thousand or ninety five thousand there, and you know you have all your friends there, and so it was it was really exciting for me. But I think the one that comes to mind for me, and because I'm an old guy that knows nothing about football, as we all know. Uh, not, it was the probably nine, 1975 Rose Bowl game where SC came back and uh, Pat Hayden, uh, when he was uh, on the positive end of the world of USC, hit Shelton Diggs on a two-point conversion uh, against Ohio State that clinched a national championship. That was so intense. The whole game was just a dogfight. I remember our, our late colleague, Kevin Bruce, giving a giving me a play-by-play on the phone uh, of that game and his battle with Kirk Schumacher, who was an All-America tackle, and uh, he brought it to life. It was really a lot of fun. I, I wish that uh, Kevin was with us so he could talk about that particular game because it was really, really intense. All right, uh, reminder for USC football fans following the conclusion of Wednesday night's Holiday Bowl, We RSC brings you five things, a timely game analysis from moderator and We RSC editor-in-chief Eric McKinney alongside... Uh, Myself and Mark Culkin. And a reminder, friends, uh, we strongly encourage those of you watching inside the Trojans Huddle on sites like YouTube to click on the like and rev subscriber buttons. It's greatly valued, appreciated. It's free. You can also listen to inside the Trojans Huddle on many available podcast sites and be sure to check out wersc.com. Become a premium subscriber. All right, it's time in the third quarter. We kick it off with the Big Ten Lightning Round. Panel respond to the following 10 questions with quick responses. We'll go in this order. Mark, uh, Eric, Chris, and myself. Here we go. Question one. Yes or no? Miller Moss will throw for over 250 yards against the Louisville defense. Mark, yes or no? Yes. Eric. Yep. Chris. 
Probably not. Uh, I say yes, uh, cautiously. Uh, question two, yes or no, Louisville quarterback Jack Plummer will throw for over 250 yards against the Trojans' defense. Mark? Absolutely. Eric? Yeah, yes. Chris? Yeah, by halftime. <laughs> and I agree. Question three, yes or no, the Trojans will rush for over 120 yards against Louisville. Mark? Yes. Eric? No. Chris? Not when you take sack yardage into account, but I think they'll run the ball. I think they'll run the ball okay. Uh, I'm going to say no because of the sack yardage. Uh, Question number four, yes or no, Louisville will rush for over 120 yards against the Trojans' defense. Mark? No. Eric? Yep. Chris? Of course they will. Everybody does. (laughs) And that says it all, yes. Question five, yes or no, the Louisville defense will sack Miller Moss at least three times in the Holiday Bowl. Mark? Four times. Eric? Yep. Chris? Yep. I agree. Better get out some life insurance on that one. Question six, yes or no, the Trojans defense will sack Louisville quarterback Jack Plummer at least three times in the Holiday Bowl. Mark? No. Eric? Yeah, three. Chris? I think yes. I agree. Question seven, yes or no, USC's Zachariah Branch will score at least one touchdown on special teams. Mark? Yes. Eric? No, not on special teams. He'll score, though. Chris? Yeah, I, I they have a block for him on a special teams play in about three months, so I don't think so, but... I agree with uh, McKinney. I think he'll get in the end zone. Uh, I think that Zachariah is due. I think he's going to break either a punt or a kickoff return, uh, hopefully. Question eight, who will be the more penalized team in the Holiday Bowl, USC or Louisville? Mark? Oh, wow. Um, Because I don't know where Louisville ranks. I'm just going to say USC because they deserve it. (laughs) Eric? Yeah, sure, sure. USC. Chris? I'm going to go with the Cardinals on this one. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm going I'm to say USC is kind of a bold tradition that they do that. But that's not always bad because that means they're, they're if they're being physical about it. Question nine, yes or no, attendance for the Holiday Bowl will be above 35,000. Mark? Absolutely. Eric? No. Wow. Chris? Uh, yes. There has never been a Holiday Bowl that had less than 35,000. There's only been one in its history that had less than 40. So I think they'll get over 35. Okay. And uh, I think it'll be above 35,000, but I think it only holds 42,000 for for football. Uh, question 10, the bonus question, fill in the blank. My main holiday uh, season dislike is what, Mark? Being alone? All right. Wow, that was deep. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. Chris, say something can, witty and smart. Can you, can you think of anything worse? I want to give him a hug, but he's in the airport. I can't. <laughs> wow, that was that was heavy. Uh Eric. What why a negative thing? No, I don't I don't have any holiday season dislikes. Oh, come on, Eric. He's gotta be at least one. Well, I I don't know. I don't know what you want me to say. 
Eric, that, sitting that, in that the car with five degrees outside. That we there had to go. wait six weeks. <laughs> we had to wait six weeks for a, a USC game. Now that 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 is a dislike, Chris. I think they start playing the Christmas music way too early. And then by the time it gets to Christmas, you've heard that Mariah Carey song a thousand times. And 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 so that's one. <laughs> My second is I ended up at the mall quite by accident like a week ago. And um, and I didn't enjoy that. I had a hard time parking. There were lots of people. But other than that, I was very up on the holidays like McKinney is. Okay, I, I don't like that they start the holiday season uh, before Thanksgiving. It just seems like a sacrilege to me. Uh, I like a little buildup, but not that big a buildup. That's a little bit too much for me. All right, so we're moving right along here, and we need to light the uh, ceremonial uh, torch, the Colosseum torch that we have. Eric, Eric, do you have the heater on? (laughs) Anyway. Uh, we're, we're, we're lighting the ceremonial torch for those of you not familiar and you, you, you big 10 fans have got to learn this, uh, between the third and fourth quarter, they light up the Coliseum torch, the Olympic torch. And we're doing that in honor of every broadcast for, uh, we RSC. So while the torch burns a little bit, a reminder to all you recruitaholics, don't forget to watch WeRSC.com's weekly recruiting video show, recruiting roundup with nationally respected Scott Schrader, the best in the business. Host Dylan Brazier, and a reminder as well to watch Friday's Four Down Show with moderator Eric McKenney, along with myself, uh, bringing you the latest info on USC's next opponent, uh, and sponsored by Prize Picks. So, with that in mind, we're into the fourth quarter, which means it's time to take some viewer questions and answers from our esteemed WeRSC uh, uh, panel. So, this is an open forum. So, panel, jump right in if you think you got the answer. Let's start off number one. Question from Scott in Gilbert, Arizona. Hi, panel. Once bowl season is done, do you think the NCAA will make immediate changes to the recruiting calendar for 2024? Personally, I'd like to see the transfer portal signing period start in mid-January after the playoffs are concluded and high school signing day uh, go back to February. Comments? I don't know where they are with that, but I but I would agree, and I think most people involved in college football would like to see some kind of fix to the recruiting calendar there there's there's way too much going on in early december right now oh and you can actually right now until the courts figure it out you can transfer a second time and not have to sit out so there's a whole nother variable that's being that was ridiculous i don't know where they came up with that it's insane they're going to drive all these coaches out of college football as we know it uh it's just overload you can't pay them enough money at this point in time the, the the big football powers need to just break away from the NCAA, set up their own, set up their own situation, come up with rules that make sense, and uh, you you can't count on the NCAA to do anything right at this point. That's Amen. Just Absolutely. Question two from uh, HUD in San Diego. Happy holidays, guys. Question: Other than the obvious positions of quarterback, interior, defensive lineman, what two other positions are the most critical to upgrade for next year in the Big Ten? Comments? The offensive line has to play a lot better, a lot better, especially if you're not going to have a guy like, uh, I mean, it was, it was tough to protect Caleb Williams. If it's tough to protect Caleb Williams, I, I don't know what you do with just about anybody else back there. They have to get substantially better. Totally agree. 
Uh, question three from Keith Vance. Uh, question, are there any high school targets that are in our radar that didn't sign on early signing day? Any names that come to mind? Eric, this is all you. No, I'm drawing. I'm honestly drawing a blank right now. I knew you guys were were going to come to me. It's it's something we'll uh, we'll dig into, but but nobody coming to mind right now. I know there I know there were a couple that that held off and that USC will will keep chasing. Question four from SC the one in Orange County panel. These are three quick questions. If we've already answered some of them, we'll just skip over it. Who will start in the secondary in the Holiday Bowl? Uh, we'll take that one first. Anybody want to uh, roll the dice on this one? Of course, we don't know who's going to be on the roster uh, come Wednesday night. But I'm going to go. Max Williams will be one of the starting safeties, and that's where I stop. You, I mean, you figure Max Williams, Bryson Shaw, probably back in the you know deep safety. Jalen Smith at nickel corner is going to be interesting. Is Christian Roll Wallace? Available, uh, Prophet Brown probably slides up in, into a a starting spot. I, Zachariah Branch maybe is your, your starting corner. Jaco- just, just put him out. Jacoby everywhere. Covington. I think Covington is finally healthy. Yep, yep, yeah. If he if he's ready to go, he'd definitely be a guy. Uh, question two: Your Holiday Bowl picks. We'll table that one for overtime. We get to predictions. Uh, number three: Are you going to Petco Park for this one? I'm going with a group of eight Trojan fans. Uh, okay, so I'm going. I'm leaving right after this uh, taping of the show, and I'll be uh, right across, staying right across the street from Petco Park. Should be fun. Mark, you're going, right? Yep. I get on the Amtrak in Fullerton tomorrow morning, 1040, and uh, arrive in San Diego. All right. So that there's two two down, two to go. What's 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 your plans there, guys? Eric and uh, Chris. No, I'm watching it. Okay, Chris. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not flying to this one. I'm. I'm watching this one at my dad's house. All right. Uh, all right. Question five from Big Daddy. For context, the standard portion of a job interview concerns salary expectations. A standard reply is to ask for the going rate and the opportunity to prove oneself. Is Coach Lincoln Riley taking the mirror image of this in his approach to recruits and the NIL? They should expect. Uh, they should expect comment. Can I say? Sorry, Mark. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go, 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 go. All right. I think USC fans misunderstand USC's position on NIL and high school recruiting. It's not true that USC is not trying to get NIL deals for for high school players. They're they are trying to tell these people about uh, about opportunities. They're trying to they're trying to help them understand what they can expect in terms of NIL deals. Um, and I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of nonsense going on where 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 USC is USC violating NCAA rules and saying here sign here and we'll give you this size check. No. But USC is playing the NIL game with high school players. They are. The problem is USC doesn't have the money that some of these other schools do. They just don't. That's where USC is not competing. USC is not competing because they don't have the money to compete with Oregon. I, and, and, and I know Lincoln Riley talks about, we want guys that really want to be here. And I'm sure he does want that. Um, but if Lincoln Riley could, 
if Lincoln Riley had enough money to sign the 10, the 10 best uh, blue chip recruits out of high school football every single year, would he do it? Um, or would he pass on those guys because he wants guys that really want to be at USC? We all know the answer to that question. This is silly. USC doesn't have the money to compete in this realm right now. And until they find it, they will continue to get recruiting classes like the one they got, which isn't all bad. I wasn't down on that class. But it's not a Pete Carroll class. It's not a Nick Saban class. And they're not going to get those. Yeah, that, that's the thing. USC is look, using NIL for roster retention. I mean, you had Ryan Day a couple of years ago say, hey, fuck nuts. I need $13 million to keep this roster together. That had nothing to do with recruiting. So, yeah, Chris is absolutely correct. You know, Ole Miss, they just plucked uh, Walter Nolan out of the transfer portal. I know that cost them more than $1 million. USC is just, they're, they're not going to pluck that kind of cash down for, for one player. They're just not, unless they are a Caleb Williams. And they're just, Walter Nolan isn't even a Caleb Williams. That's just the game we're playing right now. So until the NCAA says, this is the rule, these are the guardrails, it's a wild, wild west right now. Question seven from USC Florida fan panel. Now that the recruiting and transfer portal season is like the mafia wars, how do you think things need to be changed regarding recruiting and the transfer portal? Thanks for your comments. Always enjoy the show. As a side note, Eric, for the USC fans on the East Coast, dinner time is not a great time for you to post the show for viewing. It needs to go up like 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I mean, what are you doing at 5 a.m.? Sleeping? Come on. Well, thank you, Florida uh, fan. Um, I think Eric's doing just fine, personally. But um, what do we think about uh, what needs to be changed regarding the recruiting and transfer portal? I don't have a huge issue with with guys being able to leave and and do a transfer. I, I always try to side with players when it comes to this kind of stuff. I mean, nobody... You know, a coach will take a new job and then sit there and talk about how crazy it is that players can transfer and and move everywhere. And that's been the case forever from coaches. I also don't really have a problem with players getting what somebody feels they're worth. I mean, we've we've certainly heard stories about players asking for a ridiculous amount of money. And if someone gives it to them, then great. I think I think it's starting to settle down a little bit in terms of all the schools kind of understanding hey we don't we don't have to give these guys what they're asking there there's probably a number that more schools are comfortable with i think the timing of it again is something that you need to address it's tough on the high school players when you've got them needing to make a decision and then transfers being brought in potentially over the top of them and and they don't kind of know exactly what they're signing up for at this point. But in terms of guys being able to get that, I think that one time transfer, the the two time, the three, you know, guys being able to go year to year to year to year, that makes it really tough on everybody. The one year transfer. And again, however people want to use their NIL, I don't, I, I'm not going to sit there and, and yell and scream and and make it so that players have to, you know, sign long-term deals or, or not get what the market says they're worth. I, 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 I think, but I'm going to go first this time. Chris. I, uh, I, I think we are literally at the, at the edge of the table right now. We are the next step. You're going to have to make these players 
employees of the university. The NFL doesn't even have it as good as the college players. They sign a contract, they're locked in. And if they sit out, they don't get paid. You're, you have to put some sort of rules, regulations, guardrails into play here. Otherwise, you've got high school players like a five-star plus-plus Malachi Nelson, who, you know what? He got paid. We know you as paid him, but it wasn't good enough. So he's off again. Um, you need to, if, if we're going, if the college players are going to see themselves as the minor leagues for the NFL, as Chris said earlier in the show, let's break it off. Let's find a commissioner. Let's make these guys employees, teach them how to pay taxes and teach them how, if you're going to put on the big boy pants, let's play big by big boy rules. I do want to weigh in on this. I, I think that if, if, if they made the uh, players employees and they had collective bargaining, then I would have no problem with whatever restrictions the two sides agree to. Um, under those circumstances, the players would also be sharing in the revenues in a way that they don't now. Um, and, and, and let's be honest about something. The players are getting NIL money now but they still don't get even a penny of the revenues that college football generates. And the revenues are enormous, right? In, in, in the NFL where they do have a salary cap and they have restrictions on free agency and the like, the players also get 50% of the revenues. College football players get none. Um, And I think there are lots of reasons why the transfer portal is a good thing for, for players. Um, One, in addition to the ones Eric mentioned, it brings some accountability actually Look, these these college coaches, the good ones, are really good salesmen. They tell players what they want to hear, and they land them. And in the old days, the players are just stuck. You know, you're my guy. You're going to be a superstar here. I think you're going to be playing early. Then he shows up. There are four guys better than him, and he has to sit for three years. Now, is it a problem to sit for three years? Maybe not. But it is if you weren't told the truth when you showed up. And you know these, and you know these college coaches don't tell the truth. You know how I know that? Because every salesman in the world doesn't tell the truth. There's at least some accountability when the players show up and they say, wait a minute, all this stuff that you told me is not true. I'm going to go somewhere else. You also have the flip side of that, which are guys who are undervalued in high school. They can't play at the highest level. Um, and so they put, you know, a kid that goes to Bowling Green and is a superstar and all conference as a sophomore. Why shouldn't he go somewhere else? He's there by accident because the college coaches weren't good enough to project what kind of player he was going to be. And and I'm not convinced that we have to do something about players jumping around. Look, every other industry in the world works. If If there's a lawyer that's really good and he wants to jump firms every year, he can. Surgeons can do it. Architects can do it. People can go wherever they want in every industry. So this is an industry that makes hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars. Why can't these guys go somewhere else? If, if, if the reason is that they're worth more than what they're currently being paid, well, that's a good reason why an architect jumps from one firm to another, too. I just don't understand why the free market doesn't work here. I know it's frustrating for fans, but the reason it's, the reason it's frustrating for fans is because the college football market hasn't figured things out yet. But in other markets, you get enough stability that that companies can continue to operate and operate just fine. So I'm just not that worried about it. I think we are going to see collective bargaining, and I think it will be fine. And I think the players will get enough value out of it that what they're giving up will still will still give them a fair deal. But right now, I don't know that the players have a fair deal. I mean, 
Lincoln Riley's making $12 million a year. USC's making a fortune, pays for all their other athletic uh, programs. Herb Herb Street makes a bunch of money. ESPN makes a bunch of money. And the the kids that are helping, the the actual workers who are helping to generate all this money, they don't share in any of the revenues. That's not fair either. So I I just don't, I'm not that, I'm not that worried about, about what we're seeing. I think it will settle down with time and the market will start to make sense. It's just things are so new that it's a little bit crazy right now. Uh, I'll make mine brief. I think the whole system sucks. I think we've lost the student athlete thing. Uh, you know, do you want minor leagues create uh, a, a super division? This has it seems to me that it's everything's so out of whack that it, it's it's college football for God's sakes. It's not the NFL. It shouldn't be the NFL. Guys should go to school at least to try to get a degree. Uh, I know that's old school, and many of you will go grow up. You know, you're living 50 years ago. But a part of it is because they've deviated from it. And who's making how much money? Uh, look, at, at some point in time, it's just out of control. It already is. But that being said, question eight for Troy, 70. Is SC waiting for uh, NCA spring changes on NIL? Elite linemen are going to the highest bidder. Uh, I think that we can probably agree on some of that, right? I don't know what USC is waiting on, but elite linemen, like elite everything else, are going to the place they get the most money for the most part. That's what they're that's not what paying other, two million. That's what other that's what other people do too. Well, <laughs> they're, they're not going to pay two million for one player either. No, no USC and, USC doesn't have the money to do it. They don't have the money to do it. I, and I don't think I don't believe for a second it's a, it's a philosophical thing. I think if if Lincoln Riley could have landed Walter Nolan, he probably would have. I don't think he didn't get him because he thought he's not going to be sufficiently committed to USC. If he could have a guy in the interior that 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 dominates alongside Bear Alexander, he'd get him. He doesn't have the money to do it. That's the truth. I don't think you're going to get an argument from that one. All right, our last question, number nine from Romy in Huntington Beach. I think it's an open-ended question, but uh, I think I think it's a short answer uh, with maybe a short explanation. Panel, are we going in the right direction? I assume that's the SC football program. I'll say this. I think it's a slower process than Lincoln Riley anticipated, but he's the one who made all these comments. He raised the the uh, expectations and they go out and get go 11 and three in the first year. But we all forget. Uh, I mean, we always looking for a positive talking point. The last two games of the, his first year, there were losses. They were like really not good losses and it put things in perspective. Uh, I think that they are, but I think we're going to really have to be patient going into the big 10. That's going to be really competitive especially with Oregon and Washington uh, joining the uh, the uh, the fracas, if you will. Uh, how do the rest of you feel about it? Are we going in the right direction? I think so. I, I think so. Go ahead, Eric. I, I think so. I think winning that Oregon State game, winning the way they did, getting that soft schedule in 2022, I think set unrealistic expectations for where the program was at that time coming out of just I mean I I don't know if you're going to call 2021 rock bottom but it's close to as bad as as USC has been I think health-wise as a program uh for a long time I think 
all the kind of smoke and mirrors of that defense that year and and then Lincoln Riley deciding to hold on to Alex Grinch. So going in a different direction defensively immediately puts you on a better trajectory than where you were then. I think what USC, again, what they've added along the offensive line and the defensive line, that is a great way to tell. I mean, it's almost like looking at a baseball team's minor leagues, right? How how good are you? How deep are you with youth on those lines to project forward? That gives you a good sense of kind of health uh, of your program. And I think where USC sits right now in that is better than they were a couple of years ago. Again, I, I think Lincoln Riley wasted time. He wasted time in, her, in terms of the rebuild with this 2023 year. It didn't need to happen the way it's happening now. I think if you, you know, maybe if he gets rid of Alex Grinch last year, you have all this chaos last year. And now Caleb Williams final season at USC is under all of the, all these changes and who's here and what's going on. And so in order to kind of smooth that out, you just try to hang on to as, as much as possible, but it puts you in this situation. Now, I think, I think if you can kind of gather yourself and move forward here, you get a better sense of kind of where you are as a program. And I do think looking forward, there are some positives um, going forward. You're going into a, a, a conference with Washington, with Oregon, with some teams already established there that things are going to be challenging. But I, I do think, again, what you're doing, what he's doing specifically defensively with the coaches added this offseason, at least, uh, you know, you, you haven't seen any kind of kind of results at this point. But it tells me a little bit, at least a little bit, he's he is concerned and, and wants to find some success on that side. And, and I think that's what you needed to see to at least have any kind of sense and any kind of hope that, yeah, he, he can be good at USC and, and this can be a really good program again. Yeah. I, look, the, all three of those defensive assistant coaching hires, I think were fantastic. I mean, that's, that is a much better defensive staff next year than it was the last two years. Um, Lincoln Riley never should have brought Alex Grinch with him. I don't understand. I mean, I don't understand why he thought Alex Grinch was the answer when he came from Oklahoma, much less keeping him one year. Those were unbelievable screw-ups, and and it's done a lot of damage to the program. It's done a lot of damage to Lincoln Riley's reputation. Um, but the defensive staff next year is a much better staff. And I think that USC is going to have a massive improvement. I don't know if they're going to be a top 10 defense. I'm not crazy. But but I think they're going to line up and play hard and play smart and tackle people. I think they'll do all those things. So if USC can, if USC can start to play pretty good defense consistently, then USC is going to be a problem for a lot of those Big Ten teams because Lincoln Riley is still going to be an appealing destination for quarterbacks and receivers they're doing a good job recruiting big bodies along the offensive line, and a lot of them. If they start to play good defense, they're going to be they're going to be a problem. Uh, and I don't know that the I don't know they're going to be a great team this coming year. We still don't know what the roster looks like, but that schedule is just so bad. I mean, it's so bad. Uh, so next year's a year you can go eight and four and play pretty decent football, I think. But but I do think that they're finally headed the right direction, and I am cautiously optimistic long-term that uh, that this will work out. 
All right. A reminder again, if you have questions or comments for our panel, go to the We Are SE members message board. Click on the thread that pertains to Inside the Trojan Subtle viewer or listener questions. Let's go to overtime. First of all, Mark, how are you doing on time? Or do you need to get onto that plane? Not lining up yet. Let's. Okay. If you see me dip out, you'll know. Okay. Uh, all right. Here we go. We're going to go over the remaining uh, Pac 12 bowl games and throw in a, a semifinal game for the national championship. So let's begin with the Valero Alamo Bowl, number 12, Oklahoma. 10 and 2, 7 and 2, Big 12 versus number 14, Arizona. 9 and 3, 7 and 2, Pac 12. That's going to be Thursday night, 6 15 p.m. ESPN in San Antonio, Texas, Alamo Dome. Arizona is a three-point favorite over Oklahoma. Chris, who are you picking? If there is any justice and any goodness left in the world, Arizona will beat OU. OU fans proved once again this week that they are the worst fans and maybe the worst people in the country, you know, trying to blow up that guy's business because his kid decided to transfer. OU fans, you're awful. You're probably not listening to the show anymore like you were earlier in the year, but if you are, you're awful people. Your program is terrible, and you're going to go down. Arizona big this week. Well, I'm glad you didn't tell us what you really feel. Uh, Mark? I held back, actually. I know you did. Mark? I I think Oklahoma's quarterback is heading up to Eugene right now. So uh, Arizona's that – they're they're what USC was last year. They're they're everyone's favorite darling team to watch. I think Arizona's going to roll into San Antonio, and they're just going to – they're going to tip the schooner over. Ooh, Eric. Yeah, we're. I mean, we're not going to pick Oklahoma. I'd pick Northern Arizona over Oklahoma in a bowl game. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Security for for Eric, please. <laughs> uh, all right. So you're picking Arizona there. I suspect Eric, right? Yeah, the whole state. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Arizona. I think they're going to want it more, and they're on a mission. All right, Tony, the Tiger uh, Sun Bowl. Number 16, uh, Notre Dame, 9 and 3 versus number 19, Oregon State, 8 and 4, 5 and 4, Pac 12. That's Friday, 11 a.m., CBS, El Paso, Texas, Sun Bowl Stadium. Notre Dame's a six and a half point favorite over Oregon State. Who wins, Chris? Notre Dame is a better football team, but I'm not going to pick Notre Dame. Look, there are all kinds of reasons why I should. Notre Dame is better. Oregon State's losing their coach. Oregon State's being relegated to whatever they're whatever they're going to play in next year. It's just a sad, sad time in Corvallis. But I think Oregon State wins, and I think Oregon State wins big, and they get a bunch of uh, personal foul taunting penalties like in that other Notre Dame-Oregon State game years ago. And if so, then I'm going to enjoy it. I'm picking Oregon State 42-3. to All right, uh, Mark. Yeah, I, I just don't think there's a hint of Dennis Erickson on this Oregon State roster. So, um, yeah, I, I'm going to, as, as much as it pains me, it's going to be an Irish night, Irish day. Eric? Yeah, Notre Dame. I take the Irish. The Burbo Fiesta Bowl, number eight, Oregon, 11 and 2, 8 and 2, Pac 12 versus number 23, Liberty, 13 and 0, 8 and 0. Conference USA, Monday, January 1st, 10 a.m. ESPN, Glendale, Arizona, State Farm Stadium. Oregon's a 17-point favorite over Liberty. Chris? This is a stupid game. Liberty hasn't played anybody even halfway decent all year. I think their best win is against New Mexico State twice. It's a terrible game. Oregon will win it easily, and I hate saying that, 
because you know how badly I would love for Oregon to phase plant against Liberty, but it's not going to happen. They're going to win by at least three touchdowns. Mark? I'm jumping on the David Pollock train. Go Liberty. Eric? Oregon. Yeah, or Oregon. It's not going to be give me Liberty or give me death. You're going to get death, Liberty. So Oregon will name the score. All-State uh, Sugar Bowl, college football playoff, national semifinal. Number two, Washington, 13-0, 10-0, Pac-12 versus number three, Texas, 12-1, 8-1 in the uh, Big 12. Monday, that's a January 1st, 5.45 p.m. Uh, uh, game. Uh, ESPN, New Orleans, Louisiana, Caesars, Superdome. Texas opened a four-point favorite over Washington. Chris? So, as a general rule, I don't pick Steve Sarkeesian in a big game. But I actually think Texas, I think Texas is the better team. I think I think they'll make Washington one-dimensional on offense, and and Texas I think will be able to uh, uh, to be balanced offensively. Close game, but Texas uh, pulls it out in the fourth quarter. Mark Washington just finds ways to win. Good teams find ways to win games. Washington's a good team. Eric? Yeah, I think I'm I think I'm with Mark on that. I think I think Texas is gonna win. And on I mean Texas should win. I think Washington finds a way. But honestly, if I mean if Washington's defense showed that that Washington defense shows up and can't tackle anybody and Texas runs it up, I, I wouldn't be shocked. That Washington defense is not great. All right, I'm going with Texas. I think that they've got too much on both sides of the ball to come to play, and he's got a good coaching staff. So there we go. All right, Rose Bowl National uh, Semifinal, number one, Michigan, 13-0, 9-0, Big Ten versus number four, Alabama, 12-1, and 8-0, SEC, Monday, January 1st. Uh, that's uh, 5.45 p.m., or excuse me, uh, uh, ESPN, that's going to be 2 o'clock uh, on the West Coast here. Uh, Pasadena, California, Rose Bowl, Michigan, one-and-a-half-point favorite over Alabama. Chris, who are you taking? I would like Michigan to win this game, but I do not bet against Nick Saban. Um, I think Alabama has gotten better as the year goes on. I think they're I think they're more talented than Michigan, and, uh, and, I think they, and I think they probably find a way to win. And I think, honestly, I don't think it's going to be that close. I think Alabama wins by at least a couple touchdowns. Mark, everything Chris just said. Eric? Yeah, they let Alabama in. Alabama's winning all of it. Uh, yeah, it's going to be another Saban uh, uh, coronation at some point. And, of course, our Cardinal and Gold special, the Holiday Bowl, direct uh, TV Holiday Bowl, USC 7-5, 5-4, Pac-12 versus uh, college football playoff number 16, Louisville 10-3. 7-1 ACC, that's Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time on Fox. Petco Park, Louisville is a seven-point favorite over USC. Chris? USC's been a mess the whole second half of the year. I don't really think that's going to change, losing the guys they've lost especially. I think they have trouble protecting Miller Moss. I think the defense plays like the defense has for most of the year. I think I think the Trojans are in trouble. I badly want to be wrong about this, but I think USC is in trouble, and I think Louisville covers that seven points pretty easily. Wow, Mark, I said it earlier in the show. I got USC winning by two two points. I don't don't ask me to pick a score, but USC wins by two. Eric, yeah, I think Louisville wins this one. 
unfortunately, my heart uh, says one thing. My head says another. My heart says USC. My head says Louisville. So we're going to find out. It's only uh, hours away, so as they say. Once again, if you've enjoyed Inside the Trojan Settle, please click on the like and red subscriber buttons. We greatly appreciate your support. Be sure to check out wearese.com and become a premium subscriber. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle. A reminder to watch Four Downs on Friday for the latest USC college football uh, ticks. Uh, so until uh, Tuesday, a big thank you to our panelists, Mark Culkin, Eric McKinney, Chris Arledge. Special thank you to all of you for watching or listening to Inside the Trojans Huddle. Have a great week and weekend. So until Tuesday of next week, and on behalf of our Inside the Trojans panel huddle, uh, this is uh, your moderator, Greg Katz, wishing you all an early, happy 2024. Can you believe it? New year and fight on, everybody.